Deepening community is a timely and powerful response to the growing social isolation, loneliness, and disconnection that is happening across Canada. As we navigate through challenging times and try to find some sense of normalcy in our lives, we begin to realize that community is the answer. One of the big spotlights that COVID has uncovered is that knowing your neighbor is the biggest predictor of surviving the pandemic. Tamara Solomon, director and writer of a documentary called The Great Disconnect, realized long before the pandemic that the world was so connected and yet still alone. Today, we welcome my co-host, Deborah Jacobek, who has 18 years of experience in the nonprofit sector, becoming the executive director of the HIV Edmonton and Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues. Deborah is now working with the city of Edmonton as the Abundant Community Edmonton Project Manager. Welcome, Deborah. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to also have Tamara Solomon, who is instrumental in the creation of the Great Disconnect documentary. Before producing documentaries, he built his career as a holistic nutritionist, personal trainer, and wellness speaker. Making this film has changed the way he understands true health. Welcome, Tamara. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So great to be here. So our discussion today is going to be about neighboring and the importance of knowing your neighbors and what we can do to be more neighborly. So I'm going to start this podcast by asking the two of you, why do you think knowing your neighbor is so important? A lot of the things that I think the film, The Great Disconnect, taught us during the production and during the interviews that we had with many, you know, sort of community well-being experts. And when I say community well-being, it it means so many things, um, as many, many people know. But what we learned is that it's just, it's a very human thing to know your neighbors and to know people around you. And I think one of the things that we really, really learned um, about the film is that there's just many things that took us away from a lot of the simple and important things in life. One thing is that knowing the people who live and in close proximity to you and how much enjoyment that brings. And, you know, one of the reasons is because we have a lot of technological devices that take us away from getting out on our front porches and having chats with our neighbors and, you know, many things um, that hook us, like great shows on Netflix and Amazon and all those sorts of things. Um, and then, you know, one, one thing in the film that we really learned has taken us away from knowing our neighbors is sort of how buildings are built, how, you know, big cities have gotten, um, living in big condos where you never see anybody. So the architectural urban design piece was a really, really big, um, interesting thing that took us away from just, you know, being able to interact in a comfortable manner. You know, we talked a lot about trust in the film. And so there are many things in society um, that happen that take trust away from us. And so I just feel like um, there's just so many things that took us away from what was really important, which is knowing the people who live in our communities. And I just think it's it's one of the most important things and we really need to get back to it. And I think you know, as you said, Heather, to start the, the podcast is we are just realizing that in a crisis like this, it's one of the most important things because I mean, who else is, um, who else can we interact in a, in a very human manner? And those are the people who are close to us. To me, neighboring is a bit of a forgotten art. You know, it's something that we maybe used to do when we were younger and we've forgotten a bit about it. And I think like Tamara was saying, because of the way cities are built now, um, we don't have all those bumping spaces and places to chat. You might see someone on the elevator but you never ever speak to them on the elevator. So that's pretty interesting. I think neighboring is really important because, you know, we have family, we have friends, you know, the friends we pick and choose, family we don't pick and choose. Neighbor, usually, they're not usually a friend and, and they aren't really someone we can pick and choose. So they're kind of in between family and friends, but just as, in, just as important of a relationship. I remember um, a workshop we did probably three years ago and I took part and it was knowing your neighbor. And the, this question was so profound in that he asked me, can you name 10 of your neighbors? And I was like, I struggled. And I was like, well, I can I, I know their faces. 
and I say hi, but to know their names. And then he said, okay, of the ones that you can name, name something that, you know, they can do really well. And so it's like that deepening sense of neighbors. And so there was an article that I read from 2019 called Boring a Cup of Sugar from a Neighbor Benefits Everyone. And in that article, they state that the more people you feel comfortable asking to borrow sugar, the more likely you are to get things you want and need out of life. In these increasing unequal times, what many people lack is social capital. And so I want to ask, have either one of you asked to borrow a cup of sugar or a rake or lawnmower? Last Thanksgiving, I was making Thanksgiving dinner for a bunch of people over at my house. And I realized that I'd left my Yorkshire muffin tin at the mother-in-law's in Camrose, another city. So I had to go to my neighbor and borrow one. Of course, then I also had to share some Yorkshire pudding at the end of the meal. But that was worth the cost of getting the muffin tin. What about you, so, Tamar? Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I, I'm going to assume the sugar is like a, a symbolism of, of maybe borrowing other things as well. Um, I have two neighbors who I've gotten quite close to in my building. And one of them, you know, I've gone up to borrow some spices from or, you know, ask him for something and he's done the same. So I think, uh, I mean, that's, that's you know, it, it, it is one person. So I wouldn't say that there's um, so many more people that uh, I, I would I would have borrowed. But I mean, at least I have that one person, you know, it's, uh, it's such a great point. You know, I wonder if, yeah, just trying to um, invest a little bit more in it. It would be nice to be able to borrow some uh, things from more people. Uh, within my building. So I think it's something that uh, I think we should all invest in for sure. Mine was recently, and it was not sugar. It was toilet paper. So it was during the toilet paper shortage. I was one of those who ran out and had to do a call out and borrow, some, not borrow, actually take some toilet paper. <laughs> But linking social, so social capital and linking social capital, there are studies that have been done in the heat waves in Chicago in 1995. And it, the studies show the importance of social connections to reduce loneliness and increase physical health and mental health. And in those neighborhoods where people did borrow sugar, did borrow toilet paper, lent out lawnmowers, etc., they were more likely to, to survive and get through the heat wave than those, those neighborhoods that weren't connected. And the other thing about knowing your neighbor is that it increases safety because when you know your neighbor, you know who's on that street and who belongs on that street and who doesn't belong on that street. So it's that whole eyes on the street piece. Do you guys have any other reasons why it's important? I mean, I'll just, I'll just add in, you know, one thing that I, I find very interesting sort of with regards to some of the things that we learned from just making this film was just sort of the differences between people who live um, sort of in homes and in, in condominiums. So I, I live in a condominium. I've been in a condominium quite some time now. And there's, you know, some clear differences as to how we're going inter we're going to interact with our neighbors. One of the main things we talked about, sort of, if you live in a home, um, was this whole concept of like the, the front porch, right? And so how, you know, people don't no longer kind of hang out on the front porch, they hang out in the backyard. And so therefore they don't end up seeing people who are around them. In a condominium, of course, you're, you know, you don't have a front porch, you might have a balcony, but the balconies aren't necessarily like overly connecting. But, you know, you do have the elevator, which you do get into from time to time. And so there is a great line by John Helliwell, who's considered one of the economics of happiness. And he says, you know, getting in an elevator is like a short-term prison sentence for most people, when really what it should be is a an opportunity to just say hello, right? And so I think it's almost, you know, no one gives you a booklet and says, here's a condo etiquette for how you interact with your neighbors, right? But I, I know that, you know, I'm, I, I, Deborah can probably add to that with what the city of Edmonton is trying to do with 
how they connect their neighbors. But I just find those sort of, sort of you know, areas that you end up being very, very interesting and sort of just making use of them where they used to be just quite natural for us to just be able to say something to people. But just going back to what you're saying, you know, Heather, in the film, we have, you know, all the interviewees are saying some really interesting things, but we also interviewed just people on the street. So we um, made sure to just try and, and in all the different cities that we went to, um, to just say, hey, like, what's your sense of community like, where you're from? And, and most people would, you know, answered something, it, it, it's okay, it could be better. Some people were just saying it doesn't exist anymore. I just think that it's really interesting. And it really, I think just all depends on where you are and the value that you put on it. So I just, I just sort of wanted to draw those, those contrasts. Those are great points, Tamara. You know, I think in, in some ways you talk about um, how important it is to know your neighbor and just their sense of community and their sense of belonging. And in, in Edmonton, we place, at the city anyway, we place a really high value on trying to get people to know their neighbors for a variety of reasons. But we really saw it during COVID. At the beginning of COVID, you know, we had things pop up online. One was like a community response to COVID-19. And we saw a lot of people, you know, helping from one neighborhood to another neighborhood across the street with groceries or delivering things or like Heather alluded to, you know, giving people toilet paper when they ran out. But <laughs> what, what we tried to do at the city is those blocks that were already connected, those little neighborhoods that already knew each other. We tried to get them to build local social capital. So to focus on connecting the block and getting to know each other. So rather than kind of random acts of kindness across the city, we saw more organized acts of kindness. Mm. And and social capital is about the values of social networks. So the, the bonding of similar people and bridging their skills and their assets together to better the, the community. And, you know, social we could probably do another session on social capital because it's really fascinating. And I think it's something that we as a community almost need to relearn. Yeah, I think Tamara's film really speaks to so many pieces of uh, building social capital. And it, interestingly enough, The Abundant Community by John McKnight, really most of the functions of a neighborhood, right? Health, safety, the economy, local food, child care, community care. And I think the last one might be the environment. They get touched on in Tamara's film. And that's why I think it's so interesting and important for people to see these days. Well, thanks. We sort of approach the idea of community well-being as this very general thing. I always tell people that one of the reasons I really got interested in the topic was because I just knew that it had a tie to longevity. So if you were to look at the longest living societies in the world, based on, you know, many longevity books that I read, there was always this concept that um, you ate well, you exercised well, but, you know, tucked away in many of these longevity books was how closely connected they were to their communities, right? I mean, and literally in these rural, you know, long living societies, the closest people are, are the people who are very much in close proximity to them, right? They're not FaceTiming or Skyping or traveling and, and seeing people. I mean, their friendships, their families is really right, right there. And so that was really the topic that launched us into making this film. And then, you know, we met people like Paul Bourne who said, oh, you know, you should really interview John Halliwell, um, who was a happiness economist. And then he said, well, you know, you should really look into the urban design pieces and just understanding what an altruistic act does to your happening, meaning, you know, like volunteering um, and things like being a bit more giving, things like that. And so um, it was just really fascinating to just, you know, get get this culmination of an understanding of what it really means to be connected. And it really is different for everybody. Um, I think that there are those common, you know, traits and, and actions. They're just really, really vast, right? They're not like a, you know, here's a guideline for being connected to your community. There's just so many ways um, that we can get involved. And I just really feel like, you know, the film just really sparks those conversations in people. And uh, we're just hoping uh, it just keeps doing that. Uh, you know, Tamara, what's really interesting about 
the film is it talks a lot about isolation and there might be a decrease in neighborliness or people not knowing their neighbors. I know a, a recent Angus Reid poll said that 48% of Canadians either feel isolated, feel lonely, or feel both. Um, did you find a lot of that in the film? And how do they feel about their sense of community and connectedness? What did you find? Yeah, we. I think one of the most interesting things was yeah, getting all those statistics was really, really important. I mean, we read a ton of them before we went out and interviewed people. One of the interesting things I think people will really enjoy just the random people that we ended up coming across um, in the street. And we had a, you know, a vast sort of cross-section of people who, you know, in certain aspects were saying, you know, there is no community, it's broken. Um, it's never going to exist like it used to exist, right? You know, there's potentially some truth to that. Um, we had somebody who said, you know, I just live in this condo downtown right now because, you know, I'm just, I'm just out of school and I've got this cool job in the financial district, but I'm not going to really invest in this community. I would just rather speak to the people that I, I know. And then, you know, yeah. That, you know, it's an interesting perspective, right? It's kind of like you're looking at the guy and saying, well, I mean, you could probably say hi to a few people in your condo. You don't have to do that. I'm black and white about it. And then, of course, we, you know, we met some people who um, lived in a community where they've lived for 15, 20 years, but we've had different kind of stories. You had some people say, no, I'm very much involved and I know uh, most of my neighbors, but then you had some people say, I was walking in the park the other day and I got talking to somebody who said, oh, I, I actually just lived down the road from you and they've been living in the same community for 20 years, not knowing each other. And I think that that's really interesting. And so I just find that there's, again, probably so many reasons that took people away from really wanting to know the, the people who are around them. And for some people, it just happened to work out. I think what's really important is sort of all the work that's being done. Every organization who's involved in community development and community leadership to just, you know, how, how do we sort of um, solve some of those things? Because we know that the more people who know each other in a community, the, the richer the community is in, on so many levels. There was a Ontario Chief Medical Officer of health they the medical officers of health across canada have to release reports every year and last year in ontario it was called connected community health year together and in that what i found really fascinating is they talked about the community structures have shifted over time and and why residents don't have a strong sense of belonging and some of the reasons they talked about is like the family and social structures families are smaller they're more spread out it's not how they like, used to be where you were born in a community and you stayed in that community, your aunts and uncles and cousins were in that community, were more spread out. They talked about work and time pressures. So the shift in workforce, there's two incomes, families, multiple part-time jobs, the cost more to be socially connected. So the activities that we used to do have now become expensive and it's cheaper to stay home. They also talk about, and this was in the movie too, about spending more times in their cars. So the whole urban sprawl and the way we design our communities and then technology. So before technology, people used to go out and socialize movies and gatherings. And I know for the summer, my kids were quite happy not going out and meeting with their friends because they were doing it all online through Xbox and games. And I said, well, you know, you can, we can invite them over. And they're like, no, 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 this is fine. And so it, in the movie, there was, there was discussion about, uh, we shape our buildings and our buildings shape us back. And I almost want to say we shape our communities and our communities shape us back. No, I was just going to say, yeah, the quote by Rob Bars, who says, yeah, our, we shape our buildings and our, our buildings shape us back. And then just as you're saying, um, Heather, yeah, to say that we shape our communities and our communities shape us back. And there's just, I think, a lot of power in that. And I think what's, you know, what's been really interesting about COVID is that, you know, we're, we're all connecting in this fashion, you know, through through audio, through Zoom, through FaceTime. And I mean, you know, those things have, were very much in place prior to, to the pandemic. And obviously, I, I think that, you know, 
know, I, I always like to say that this is a far second best than seeing each other face to face. And hopefully we'll get to a point where we can all be um, in a room again and then chit-chatting. But of course, there's a lot of value in, you know, being able to connect um, with you guys. And we're all um, being able to do that when, you know, we do live further from our from our families and from our friends, right? And so I do think that these are very valuable tools that we have, but they should be tools. And then we should know that hopefully this is just a, a bridge to getting back to um, hanging out face to face, whether that's going to be um, how seriously we take our, our bubbles now, right? Like everyone's talking about, you know, who, you know what's going to be your bubble, who are going to be the people that you're going to be, you know, choosing to um, hang out with face to face. And I think that's going to be a really important um, way, especially for us out here in Canada to get through the winter. But I think, yeah, there's just, I, I recently read a book called Reclaiming Conversation and Sherry Turkel, who we have appearing in her film through her TED talk, has some of the most powerful research on the importance of face to face. And her whole background is actually in technology and sort of how technology is shaping our, our, our future and our what it is to be human and how important it is to get back to face to face conversation. And she, you know, she talks a lot about how the new generation coming up in the workforce is really struggling to communicate face to face. And it's like, how can that be? I mean, what it is to be human is the ability to be able to chat with each other, work things out um, and doing it in this fashion really doesn't replace it. And I think, again, as long as we know that these are tools, they're really second best to getting together face to face. That just really places a value on the physicality of all being together and which, which hopefully we'll all do safely very, very soon. Deborah, from a municipal perspective, do you have any thoughts on kind of the, the increase in social isolation and loneliness? Yeah, I, I guess a few, you know, one relating back to what Tamara, well, the question, the sentence you pulled out, the we shape our buildings and our buildings shape us back. I really think, you know, our municipalities shape us too. And so uh, in the film, I think it's um, Vince Furlan and uh, Nathan Edelson, who both talk about how we've, you know, built these sprawling suburbs and we're so tied to our cars. And it's very true in Edmonton that we, we we were very tied to our cars. And so I think cities can do a better job of creating a little bit of density and, and building those bumping places for citizens to connect. But municipalities really, you know, if you if you live in a different city, what we have to do is usually it, it pops up like in Edmonton, people start to see a, a neighboring movement and they, they say, oh, I got to get to know my neighbors and it kind of grows from their approaching whoever your council is and whoever your administration is to get people to move away from being consumers and maybe think more about how they can build the kind of neighborhoods they want to live in. Uh, it's probably harder in downtown Toronto, Tamar, I think that's where you live. Town. I have lived downtown Toronto for sure. And uh, yeah, like, I mean, just, just to, on the topic of commuting, which is, I find very interesting as well, where I do, I do remember re talking and having many discussions about sort of like how we commute, which, you know, you want to sort of have a balance, right? And I think one of the top cities in the world rank highest on, on happiness, usually have very good balance of, you know, people biking, walking, you know, driving, um, and just having those sort of things in place that just allow people to sort of choose what, what means medium that they're going to use to commute. But in, in general, yeah, like those of us who live in these big cities, the, the concept of urban sprawl, you know, living, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, one hour and being stuck in traffic, going to work really takes away from th those abilities to, to connect because we're now in our cars, which are very stressful places to be for the most part, if you are commuting in, in these big cities. And then one of the things I think which is interesting is that, yeah, we get home 
let's say after a long day's work. And I think people resort to those activities we were talking about where time for, for Netflix is time for even more technology, which I think taxes people even more when, you know, you would think that, you know, going out for a walk in your community, if, if it was that kind of community, would probably be healthier for you. But um, I do I do find it, yeah, really, really interesting, the whole concept of, of urban sprawl and the idea that, you know, how can we come back to local, right? And if we think about what's happening with COVID, now a lot of us are working from home, there was a statistic that was mentioned previous screening from um, a panelist who was just saying how a lot of people were asked if they wanted to go back to work. And most people said no, or like a large percentage, right? And, and why is that? I think it just has a lot to do with all of a sudden we have our time back with our families, with our communities. And I think those are things that are valued. And, it, you know, I think obviously many of us have great relationships with people at work, or at least, you know, I know some people do and some people don't, but I, I do know that I think neighbors, friends and community is where you're going to, you have more enjoyment than the people you interact at work for whatever reason. But I do think that that was a really interesting concept is that most of us would rather just uh, work from home and, and be local. And then that means that takes away a lot of driving, which has an impact on not commuting. You know, there's a ecological, uh, environmental benefit to that as well, because we're not using gas. You make a great point about the whole commuting. And I want to, I want to bring a rural perspective to this because we've talked about cities and urban and I'm a, I'm a country gal grew up in, in, in the country and I think that the the towns the rural towns are struggling to kind of redefine what town is now because we are now known as a sleeper town and people are driving long distance but they're coming out and living in our town and it's making it hard to get to know your neighbors because they're not they they don't have the time because they're driving the distance to get involved in the community work that happens in small towns and neighbors so during COVID I have to say that I was I was really jealous of my city friends because they could look out the window and see people walking. They could, you know, to make, to know your neighbors, you only have the small little area. I live on a concession. And so I have to get into my car and drive to the next farm to get to know my neighbors. And so, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit difficult to get to know your neighbors. And I've lived where I'm at right now for six years and I don't know 10 of my neighbors because it's more of an effort to have to go and meet them versus looking out the window and waving to your neighbors and getting to know. So in terms of the rural aspects, I think rural is struggling just as much as the urban, but in different ways. Yeah, I think, Heather, probably in rural areas, they used to have a lot more uh, local trade, right? Mm. And so when we moved to globalism, we've maybe lost those pieces. You don't have the barn raiser on the farm next to you as much as you probably used to in the rural area. Yeah, and actually, I do need a new barn roof. So if there's anyone out there who can raise raise a roof, I'd be more than willing to do a, a barn roof party. So we've talked about, you know, the what is the problem. We've talked about why, you know, social isolation and lack or the decrease in neighborliness. So now let's move to what can we do about it? What could municipalities, and I know we've touched upon it, and I'm going to go to you, Deborah, first. What can municipalities do to, you know, help us be more neighbors and before you say anything, I'm going to say, show the movie. You bet. Awesome. You can show the movie. Edmonton's showing the movie, I think, six times so far. We, we showed it to our council and many city staff. But then we've also been holding public screenings. But now we've been doing virtual screenings. And we've had Tamar come out with a series of other guests. We've had the person who wrote the city plan at, in Edmonton and also is an urban planner. So we've planned each screening around a theme. And that can get citizens really thinking about uh, wanting to become a part of the neighboring movement and realize that getting to know 
enjoy your neighbors is, is what we need to do now to help take care of each other. Tamara, how have the screenings been for you? Have they been fun? Oh, they've been such a blast. Yeah, and I just, huge thank you to the city of Edmonton and, and to you, Deborah, for really, you know, orchestrating these, these screenings. And also, I mean, Tamara, you know, Heather, I mean, we've had a huge... Um, huge collaborations with with Paul Bourne being in the film, but they've been an absolute blast. And yeah, and I do want to say, and I'm not saying this because to you, Deborah, but the, the City of Edmonton screenings have been just awesome because of the panelists that you guys have brought on and the discussions that we've been able to have. Um, and Sarah and I, Sarah, who's the story editor and, and writer, um, she, you know, she's, you know, who's my wife and she's joined me on these two. And we just, we end up learning so much. And I think the audiences end up learning so much from um, what the film brings, because the film just sort of has a, you know, th there's a great story to it. You know, there's a story of uh, a woman named Kirsten who tries to put on a condo party on, on her building. Um, that's one of the, I think, great pieces of the film alongside all these amazing um, interviewees. And I think it's been just great to have all these different panelists who are um, involved in different aspects of understanding the importance of community and neighboring. And so I think that film is great in sparking these discussions and we get these amazing comments coming through the chat. So no, it's been an absolute blast for us because the film was, again, you know, we love making films and we love the creative process and it's an, a really an artistic piece to, to be involved in. But I think what's been really enjoyable for us is that we, you know, it has affected our lives and affected decisions that we now make in our lives to be more involved in community and, and really investing in knowing our neighbors. So I always tell people that I am now the weird guy who says hi to everybody on the elevator. And so um, that's just just one really simple way that um, I, I do things in my community that's different than, than before. You know, it's funny how you say that. Uh, I was in Chicago going to a workshop for asset-based community development. And I decided while I was there, while I was walking to, I would say hi to everybody. Everybody I met. I'm not even from Chicago. And I, I had to get over this fear, this fear of, of saying hi. And, you know, the first day I felt I... I didn't, I, I'll admit, I didn't do it to everybody because I was like, I gotta work my way up to it. And by the third day, the third morning, I was saying hi to everybody. And it was amazing that people were just saying hi back. And then some people looked at me like I had three heads going, why are you saying hi to me? And so it just kind of comes back to what you were saying about, you know, just, just deciding that you are going to meet your neighbors and just do it. Totally. And there's so many ways to do it, right? There's so many easy ways, so many simple entry points. You know, people have dogs. There's a part of an interview that we just couldn't include, unfortunately, because we lost the audio on it. But she was just saying, you know, just complimenting someone on their shoes are just really simple entry points, right? And then, of course, there's some of us who just really want to get involved, just kind of know how to put on a neighbor gathering where, you know, we, you know we're going to be able to get excited about coming out to like a block party. Obviously, there's some rules around that now. Maybe, maybe there you speak to it about so what the rules are with regards to how can people still gather, right? I think the winter are going to be really interesting. You know, what was interesting about COVID is that people got out and did stuff than usual, or at least that was the feel I got. I mean, one of the things that, you know, Sarah and I did in our condo was we ended up taking over these raised beds in front of our condo and ended up planting vegetables, which um, we knew was a safe way to do something that was, you know, very not against the regulations. And, you know, we were still able to physically distant with, with our neighbors. And we noticed people just ended up sitting out a little bit more often um, and people interacted a little bit more. And so I think, yeah, just, there's just so many different entry points from really, really simple if you're, if you're shy and very, very possible if you really want to do something bigger and have a bigger impact. So it's, it's, we all have a role to play and I think it's all important. Yeah, Tamara, I think um, it depends on what stage every city is in. So if you're, you know, in stage one, two or three, 
Uh, you just have to follow the rules of your local public health. Uh, in Edmonton right now, that means that we can gather in smaller groups. I think it's under 50. And so we're supporting block socials, block parties, and play streets at that level in a way where you're not sharing food, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but your local public health would have all that for you. And the other thing that I, I think that's really interesting that you were chatting about is how winter is coming, right? We know it's coming. Edmonton's a winter city. And so as a city, as a municipality, we're, we're starting to plan on how do we support outdoor events with heaters, those kinds of things, because we know being outside together is safer than being inside together. And I think there's there's a lot of municipalities that are, are thinking about that. So the city of Kitchener, the community centers, they're really thinking about who they are and their purpose in community. And originally their purpose was bricks and mortar to provide programming. And now they're putting the lens on that the community centers are neighbors. They're not a place for programming. They're a neighbor and there's neighbors around them. So how can they, the community centers, help leverage and support the gifts and assets within the community? And so I think right now, a lot of municipalities are rethinking their neighborhood work, their strategies that they have, the way that the departments are working, the different areas that are working and within community. What do you think, Deborah? That's really interesting, actually. It's good to know that they're thinking about that, about, because we see the you know the neighbors as the people who create the neighborhood they want to live in I, I can keep saying that to the whole podcast but you know when you go back to how you were talking about uh, surviving a crisis or surviving a disaster you know we really want people to be connected at the block level we saw in Edmonton that the, the neighborhoods that were connected at the block level and knew each other they kind of took care of each other and fared a little bit better and I know we're all thinking about that big disaster, but there's that little tiny crisis on a block where somebody breaks their leg and can't get out. I mean, that's why we need to know our neighbors and help each other, right? It increases safety, it increases care for seniors, all kinds of things that build healthy, vibrant, resilient neighborhoods. So hopefully we'll see more of that after COVID. In terms of what we can do as neighbors, there's a, a program that about oh, December I came across called Life School House, and it's a folk school in Nova Scotia. And the model is asset-based community development. And just going back to, we talked about social capital and knowing your neighbors, this Life School House brings it all together. So they draw upon people within the neighborhood who have gifts and assets. So if you're a basket weaver, you would open up your home, you would invite your neighbors to come and learn basket weaving. One thing that's unique is it's a barter system. You don't pay, you bring something. I'm the basket weaver. I would say, you know what? I like bread, jams, relishes. And so your fee for coming to learn basket weaving is a jam, a loaf of bread. And so it makes it so that it's easy for people to learn new skills. You're bringing in the gifts and assets of your local neighbors. And this is starting to take off in Nova Scotia. So this is one way as a neighbor, we can get to know our neighbors and even go even deeper in drawing upon the get the gifts and the assets that our neighbor has and share it. And then they also took it a little further and they did a swap. So I crochet, I've got lots of blankets. I, you know, I've given all my blankets away to all the people that want them. So this way I bring my goods one day and we do a swap. You don't pay for anything. So I bring an Afghan and then I walk away with a basket. 
that's hand done or an artist brings a painting. And so there's some really innovative ways that you can get together in terms of neighbors. Yeah, that's great. We, we see that in Edmonton with um, neighborhoods, people forming little groups of skills, assets, and gifts that they can share with each other. And Tamara, I think we saw it in the movie with uh, the Gorilla Gardener. I, I forget his name now, but he really taught the um, South Central LA folks how to, get, how to, how to garden and uh, teach each other about the different vegetables and different cuisines, right? Yeah, for sure. No, you're talking about Ron, Ron Finley, and it's, it's a really great person to really bring up. And I think he's a great person to speak to because, you know, Ron Finley was in a place where you would look at as being low-income housing, not necessarily the friendliest place, right? And um, Ron Finley is a great example of someone who just said, okay, I think I want to improve this neighborhood by taking over a plot of land that is owned by the city and planting vegetables so that it beautifies the space. And then all of a sudden, uh, maybe this assumption that we have that people aren't friendly in this neighborhood will change and it does change and it was really really interesting because it's a very design concept that people talk about which is you know beautify your surroundings and then um, you'll realize that the people around you are actually a, a lot more friendly and i think that that very simple thing that we can all do which is just going back to that front porch concept is um, having it look pretty and nice and having something there that just allows us to come together you know that's just a really really powerful piece of the film that we bring up but i think again it just goes back to it doesn't matter how it's done the assumptions that you have about your your neighborhood and i just think a lot about you know talking about that is the trust piece right so john halliwell talked a lot about trust and that if we don't trust the people who live around us, then we're unlikely to really just get out there and, and do something. And so I just feel like you can only trust, really understand what people are like in your neighborhood if you, if you come in contact with them face to face. Heather, I wouldn't mind asking you a question. Okay. So Heather, you work at Tamarack and you've been hearing a lot about, you know, COVID and how other cities are, are dealing with it. Do you see a, a movement uh, a neighboring movement coming up and do you see people moving from global globalism to more localism? I do actually. They're realizing that the the neighbor to neighbor connection is what really is the focus and needs to happen, and they're moving towards that. So I talked about City of Kitchener is a perfect example of realizing that we can do better and looking at what has been done, what needs to be done, and then how can we do better. COVID has put a spotlight on some of the issues that have been happening in community, some of the great things that have been happening in community, and some of the areas that are that were gaps. And so now it's an opportunity for municipalities to really think about how are we going to support our neighborhoods in the next big pandemic and the next big emergency that we have and being more prepared. So I am noticing that the conversation is really starting. There's a lot more who are looking at how can we do better and the need for a neighborhood strategy. So I like the city of Edmonton has a strategy on how do you connect all the different departments together so that you can support the activities. Because it's one thing having a, a street party and I'm going to plan it, but then bylaw stops me because I can't close the street. And then, you know, we have all of these regulations and rules. So how do we as a municipality work with these new bumping spaces, these new ways that we're going to connect so that we foster them, we don't hinder them? Yeah, you're right. I think municipalities have to invest in cities for sure. I just want to talk, so we're running out of time, but I want to ask you, Deborah, to, can you just quickly, because I think you guys have really nailed it, the community connectors and the block connectors. Yeah. Can you just talk about that? Because that's a really great way as a person, a neighbor, as a resident on, on what I can do. Yeah. So at the city of Edmonton, we have an initiative called Abundant Community Edmonton. You can look it up online in our guidebooks. 
and a bunch of information is there. We'll also meet with you to chat if, if that's helpful. But really what we do is we go into neighborhoods, find the neighborhood leadership, people who are the movers and shakers in that neighborhood and know folks. And we try to find either one neighborhood connector who then looks for block connectors, or sometimes we pass over the neighborhood connector and just find one or two people on every block who can connect their neighbors, host small block socials, and be really three things, the um, party person, the listener, and the, the connector. So they, they try to get to know everybody, keep a list. And as that grows, I think we have about a third of every, all neighborhoods, all 250 neighborhoods in Edmonton involved at some level. And uh, we've seen it increase neighborliness in the city. And of course, I think it will build more resilient, friendlier places to live. I think Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, that show, that song nailed it in terms of what we need to do going forward. Won't you be my neighbor? So it's been a great dialogue. Thank you so much, Tamara and Deborah, for joining me today, having this great conversation. If you are inspired by this, there are two things you can do. Contact Tamara, book your movie, show it. Two, go to our website, tamaracommunity.ca, and click on the Deepening Community tab. Thank you again, everybody, and look forward to our next conversation.